Breaking Rules Publishing is currently accepting submissions in all genres, including for our four magazine lines, Horror Magazine, The Scribe, Triangle Writers, and the soon-to-be-released Someday Magazine. We also have several short story anthologies, such as The Hollow, Where All Evil Lies, and an upcoming wedding anthology. So for more information, please visit breakingrulespublishing.com. And if you're enjoying Writer Someday to Author today, please make sure to hit subscribe. New episodes are uploaded weekly. Once upon a time, there was a podcast. Some might say it was the coolest podcast of all time. They called it the Writer's Block. Once upon a time, there was a podcast. Some might say We are back, hopefully, with... Oh, now you can hear the crinkling of all the papers under my messy feet because I've cleaned literally everything in this apartment during quarantine except for this one area. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, yeah, we're back. And uh, apologies for the delay. Um, Really no excuses because we've been working on other stuff. But we're planning on wrapping up the last two episodes. If you're tuning in, you already know that. Um, Mm -hmm. And at least the Magician episode will be mm-hmm. this that has been pre-recorded and we've got a couple of other kind of botched we call them botched stories because they were good up to a point and then they kind of fell apart unlike kind of the you know the rest of the stories from the most of the first two seasons but we're planning on doing either a double feature or recording a new story tonight depending on how things go um sounds sounds like a lot of fun and it's been it's been crazy I mean, the rest of the world knows that and we don't need to pander, not pander, but we don't need to talk about, you know, COVID-19 in any way that we're not well informed. There's a lot of misinformation going out there, so I don't really want to propagate that. But how how have you been handling this quarantine? Oh, boy, Uh, I've been putting my nose to the grindstone. Uh, I've been really hammering out some, some work. I've done a lot of reading, a lot of writing. And uh, the master classes, dude, I, I can't even begin to. I got a hair stuck to my nose here for a second. <laughs> um, the, the master classes have been super helpful too. I've spent a lot of time with that as well. Master, oh, yeah. You know what? I haven't actually done any of the master classes this I've, entire quarantine. I feel kind of bad about it, but. Well, we got it for uh, a year, so. Yeah. I'd, I've been working on the Aaron Sorkin one. And uh, I finished the uh, the one before or that. I can't remember what her name was. Uh, Margaret, Margaret Atwood. Oh, yeah. Margaret Atwood. I finished that one. There might have even been one between them, but I don't remember. I have to wrap up Aaron Sorkin, and I was enjoying uh, what I had watched of his. Um, yeah. Samuel L. Jackson, I know that's not writer-related, but actually the acting feedback gives me um, helps me knowing what actors are doing on the film set. And I feel like that kind of relates to writing characters anyway. Sure. Hearing how people are bringing things off the page and how they interpret what you write down anyway. And we're getting more into uh, radio drama and not full scripts yet, but we're kind of moving in that direction. And actually you and I were just talking about potential 
the future of eight sparks and and some things we might do, including a heist uh, story. I don't want to get too much into that just yet because we haven't even written a script. But right, yeah, um, let's not let's not delve into that too too far. But on the on the point of scripts, we have uh, now no honor is is coming up on part four. Um, no on the audio adaptation of No Honor Among Thieves, which has been airing on the Eight Sparks Media Facebook page and on the EightSparksMedia.com website. And of course, mm-hmm. that is adapted from Clarence's No Honor Among Thieves uh, book, which yeah. is available on Amazon. And you can you can find the link through the website as well. And narrated, of course, by Jean Paul Wood, who does oh, yeah. like most ninety nine percent of our audio adaptations at this point uh, yeah he, he which is really, really ironic good. because we do audio stuff yeah the podcast <laughs> yeah i mean but and he he has a way better setup than us yeah uh, eventually we'll have like a, a dedicated office i'm in an uh, apartment right now but and you're sitting on your bed with a microphone <laughs> that's right <laughs> but uh someday we'll long for these days <laughs> uh, someday when we have a big office we'll look back and think about how it all started Yes. So No Honor Among Thieves. I mean, uh, yeah. So No Honor Among Thieves and then Sleepwalker aired a couple weeks ago, which yep. was a part of the Eight Spark Stories kind of dystopian sci-fi series that I had been writing and that Jean-Paul had been adapting with audio. And uh, that, yeah, that was the first full audio drama adaptation. Straight script. Um no real like monologue or narration with the main character Jack there's some subtle like flashbacks where he's like telling the story as a narrator but it's very yeah. very little short monologues and i think for the most part it's it's straight audio it's more audio straight audio drama than we've done at this point and um that's actually going to be featured on another long lasting audio drama podcast i won't say the name just yet we'll announce that in a future episode and we get too overexcited because we've seen how these things sometimes pan out. I don't, <laughs> don't want to end up looking like a fool, but sometimes they fall apart. But I, I am. You can check that now on the Eight Sparks page and on the Facebook playlist on the Eight Sparks Media Facebook page, uh, Eight Sparks Stories. Mm. Uh, mm. And I'm really excited about that. And I'm excited about the audio dramas because you and I have been talking, going back and forth. And James Pine. You and James Pine have mm-hmm. been working on something, and and I think it seems like we're all kind of writing now with the idea that we're going to adapt these stories into multiple multiple mediums. So yeah. it's really exciting uh, shooting sh- the shit and bouncing ideas back and forth about how we're going to adapt or what we're going to adapt just to certain mediums, including um, video games. Now we have the the two little Jimmy video games, uh, and that's yeah. that's more tongue in cheek. Somehow, even yeah. more so than some of our TWB stories, but um, but yeah. you wrote the script, or you're right. You've submitted an idea for the third Jimmy game, Jimmy in Space. Yeah, Jimmy in Space. Yep. And I, this is it's awesome to me because uh, this is the Eight Sparks mission, in my opinion, is you know virtual reality and mixed media entertainment. Sure. With storytelling at the center, and I think we're really hitting that hard now, even more so yeah. during this quarantine. Because we have more time on our hands, so. dude. I'm I'm really impressed with both of us as to how much shit we've gotten done in the last whatever it's been two months. Yeah, yeah. Um, how I many, can't. I can't. How many words have you written a day? Uh, each day has been different, but um, the minimum is a thousand. The minimum 
has been a thousand per day. And the maximum I think I did five thousand in one in one day. And the the shitty part about the five thousand was I ended up deleting like twenty five hundred of it. You deleted it? Yeah. Like on yeah, purpose or uh yeah, on purpose, yeah. I rewrote that part oh. like immediately. Okay, so you rewrote it. You you didn't just straight Oh I also Nix wanted to it tell... from the ether. No, no, it wasn't an accident. I did it on purpose. I, I also wanted to tell the story about the uh, anthology because it's more than just getting accept- accepted in another anthology. There's a little bit of a story to it. So I got in- I got accepted into this anthology. It'll be called Coffin Blossoms. I'll let you know when it comes out. I don't remember. Um, so I've known it was coming down the pipeline for like eight months now maybe even more and i've been racking my brain for eight months right and i'm like oh shit the deadline's creeping the deadline's creeping and i've been thinking and i had no ideas nothing just blank page so i just worked on other stuff all the way up and then like two weeks ago i had this insane dream and i think i texted you that night and i told you what the dream was it was about me getting kidnapped by these famous youtubers and i was like it was the most ridiculous dream and i was like that's it that is my story it's horror comedy and i i hammered it out in six days and i made the deadline and And then that's the one that just recently got picked up right yeah it just got picked up last night that's Um, awesome congratulations again on that that's awesome (laughs) thanks and the the funny thing is i beat the deadline and last night he told me that they're going to expand it for another month (laughs) <laughs> well now you just have more time to write more stories and well i guess you wouldn't submit more to that although i don't know is it just one submission submission per uh author for that particular magazine or yeah no oh. yeah just one story per but you should do it you should give it a go yeah i mean you know i've i've been going on about all these ideas i keep coming up with it's just i've been focusing i put 60 hours into game maker studio for the little yeah. jimmy games um, and then between that and editing no honor for video and, uh, sleepwalker just excuses really is what I'm, is I'm <laughs> doing here, but yeah, you're right. I should. Um, it's, it's a very interesting line between horror and comedy, but it can be done. Yeah. That's faith. a hard one for me. And I told you my, my biggest inspiration in that genre would be, uh, cabin in the woods. Yeah. I thought that movie was great. Just just the right amount of spoof and equal amounts of terror, like yeah. it it joked about the things, the horror tropes, but at the same time it used those horror tropes really well. So right. it kind of worked on both angles. Plus, it, so, it had a little bit of sci-fi in it, which which I love. I don't I don't want to tell too much of the story to deter people from buying the anthology when it comes around. But essentially, this guy gets kidnapped by these two famous YouTubers for trolling them on the internet he's he's like leaving them shitty comments and kind of being an asshole and they kidnap him and it it is scary but it also has various jokes and 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 he's kind of a prankster so there's a little bit of that in it too awesome so are you at liberty to say where that's going to be at yet or that we announced it on the page um i they haven't announced it yet but it got picked up by um, Jolly Horror Press, and it's going into that anthology called Coffin Blossoms. Nice. Oh, yeah, you did mention Coffin Blossoms. Yeah. Cool. So it hasn't gone public yet. 
Uh, what else That's has what been I happening? assume by the time this episode comes out. Uh, I did kind of want to talk about, like, more specifically, you know, we got to talk about it eventually with the pandemic and what's going on. I want to avoid misinformation, but, like, how it's affected you. I know you said you've been yeah. writing, but you and your family in general, I guess, mm -hmm. and what you even think about what's going on. Or maybe that might even toe the line with <laughs> pissing some people off somehow, but... Uh, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. Um, we took two months off and I'm still out of work at the moment. Monique just Same. went back. Yes. Uh, Monique just went back yesterday and, uh, she has to do all these safety procedures and stuff. And we chose to do it. It's not like we got booted or anything. We chose to do it because her mother is not in great health. Mm -hmm. Her mother just, she's diabetic. She just had, um, gallbladder surgery she just had this thing called Guillain bar syndrome last year to the point where she couldn't even walk yeah so like it's so we decided to you know to step out of work reduce the chances of getting sick whatever whatever and the the inspiration like not not the pandemic inspiring work but the freedom to be a full-time writer has inspired me to hammer out so much more like, I think I've read 10 novels in the time that I've been down, uh, which is way more than I would if I were working. And I think and you've you've like posted all the ones that you finished on your uh, Clarence Carter author page, right? If yes. anyone's interested in seeing what uh, Clarence has yep. been reading. So there's a, a giant a picture of a stack. And then I finished another one after that. And I'm like half of the way through another one. Well, you know, I've been staying home also because uh, Heidi, my girlfriend, is uh, asthmatic. And yep. uh, we have been to the hospital twice in the past two years to the ER for mm -hmm. breathing issues and whatnot. Uh, this year we got our mm -hmm. flu shots. Uh, and I think that that at least makes me feel better because it would be one thing to get one of the two and then another thing to get both of the two, the flu and COVID-19 at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I've just kind of been playing it safe. I'm probably going to go back to work in the next couple of weeks. Luckily, uh, I do plumbing and we're working on a government job where we're literally not in contact with anybody. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm lucky for that. Unfortunately, I work with the public. So <laughs> Yeah, the with the liquor store, right? So yeah, a lot of people there at this time. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm probably going back in the next couple of weeks, too. Yeah, I mean Maine. I think Maine has been pretty lucky with the numbers, all in all. Yeah, yeah. We've had people in the hospital and we've had deaths, which is unfortunate. But I think it's because we're so spread out. Yeah, it's a little Maine's bit a, a big state, and we live all in the woods. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's all I really want to say about that. It's been crazy, and uh, I guess we hope everyone is doing okay. We we do hope everyone yeah. is doing okay. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's tough financially, and it's tough uh, mentally. For sure. Yeah. And especially for people who aren't used to just pumping out stuff like like we do like crazy. Yeah. Um, you have to have you have to have an outlet. I'm telling you, whether it's writing or reading hobby, or, yeah. or or working out or whatever it is. Video you have games, to have, whatever yeah, you do. Something to absorb your time and keep your mind away from it. And I'm telling you, some of the stories that are coming out when this is over mm -hmm. or are going to blow your mind. I'm telling you, because yeah. I've had that that inspiration. I've had the time to really hammer it on. I'm going over it more thoroughly. I'm, and I think that our audience is going to be really impressed. Well, the stories that you're coming up with, but also uh, um, just the stories around the world, 
that, mm-hmm. that are going to surface about how different people in different circumstances are dealing with this pandemic in whatever way. Those stories sure. are going to resonate and this is going to affect our literature and popular I've, culture for like 10 years. That's, how, that's what happened with 9-11 when you think about it. I, f- I find it super ironic that we had an episode, if you remember, we were talking about art in crisis with Jeff on the podcast. Oh, yeah. In the conversation. Yeah. Yep. And like here we are, whatever it is, three months later, four months later, and we're in a crisis and art is just off the charts. I mean, it is unbelievable the things that are coming out right now. Quarantine karaoke. You have all yeah. the musicians that are normally touring that are doing their, you know, Zoom videos, which yep. you and I are kind of struggling with the connection right now. So that still blows my mind how musicians can keep in time with like up to four or five musicians <laughs> playing a really cool song. But maybe and that's just... even even like um, they're rebooting like zoom versions of old tv shows they're like putting the cast back together and they're acting out scenes and stuff i don't know if you've seen that i yet. haven't no like brady um, bunch who's alive from the brady no, bunch um so it's on a, a network called peacock i think uh but seth mcfarlane is hosting and the one that i saw was uh monk you remember that show monk with uh monk? tony shalhoub monk yeah yeah monk, <laughs> monk. <laughs> sorry you remember that show <laughs> yes i do he was uh ocd Actually, that's kind of timely because he's so he's cleaning everything and yeah, exactly. So, so they brought those characters all on Zoom and they reenacted the scene. You know, they're talking and they're in character, and it it was really funny. They had like the chief, whatever his name was, Stottlemyre, and they're acting out and they're asking Monk how he's handling everything. It's it, it's funny. It's funny to me and that you keep saying Monk. It's it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Uh, yeah. No, actually, so. I don't think I've released it on the Eight Sparks page, but recently I uncovered, unarchived, so to speak, uh, a short film that I made with friends in high school, the Battle mm-hmm. Royale film yeah. that we did. Uh, and those, I think it was like three, the camera guy we haven't gotten a hold of, but most of the crew, we were talking in a Facebook chat and we were talking about doing a mock sequel to that student film. But the movie mm-hmm. would take place where we're all reconnecting on Zoom. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've had a couple of ideas utilizing that format as well. It's going to be interesting to see how everything plays out. And and some people are being super creative and, you know, really utilizing this time, this downtime. Yeah. Like, uh, who else? Uh, some of my favorite writers, uh, like indies, you know, people that aren't super popular have been sitting down and like hammering out. So there's going to be a huge flush of books coming out at the end of the year or early next year just because of this period of time where they had the opportunity to hammer out how many ever words it is a day. I don't know. Um, yeah, so I found the the name. I don't know why I forgot this, but Anvil Studios, A-N-V-E-L Studios. They're doing um, – every Friday they've been doing a 360 image where you can kind of, there's different options on the images and you get to choose the letter for the direction that you want the story to go in. And then every week after he tells you where your previous choice brought you and then continues the story. So that's, that's an example of somebody in, in the VR mixed media field that's been doing something really cool with the pandemic time. And, uh, Mm -hmm. one of, one of the choices I jokingly said, there were dinosaurs 
And one of the choices was to run away or something while the T-Rex is distracted. But I saw a T-Rex and I was like, what if I climbed up his tail and rode him into the sunset? And then Mm -hmm. that was my storyline. So he actually added that to the next week's story plot, which I thought was pretty cool. People are getting super creative. And yeah, the talk shows have all gone to Zoom. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, well, uh, Derek from Forsake Media just did one in VR. I was really excited that he brought that show because he he had been kind of... Um, he paused that show for a while. He had a, I don't know if you remember last year, I shared, a uh, one of my critic, the rapper, I did a interview with him from his uh, VR show and I performed stubborn soul. It, no. There was a Charmeleon Pokemon sculpt that he was throwing around. I don't remember oh, it, don't. but well, he did that and I'm hoping he brings it back, but he did just bring that show back on Forsake media on Facebook. And, mm. uh, I'm really excited to see where that goes too. All right. Let's tell a story. Should we do a coin toss? No, you can take it. All right. The horn from the train pierced the night air and startled Catherine Hamilton from her deep sleep. She had been having a dream about a man who was looking at her and slowly backing towards the edge of a cliff. And every time she had this dream, because she had had it every night that she had been on this train since she had boarded it on her way to Moscow from London, every time she had had this dream and every time the man reached the edge of the cliff, he would smile and then she would wake up startled. A couple times it had been in synchronicity to the horn from the train, but other times it had come out of nowhere. Sudden um, movements or sounds from the creaking cabin around her. It was a old train, and she had been in the cabin, and she had taken a first-class cabin, so she had quite a bit of space to herself compared to other people in the train. But even though it was first-class, it was still old and creaky. Catherine got up from her bed, stretched out her arms, yawned, and she looked about the cabin as the train bustled across the tracks. What am I going to do? I'm almost there. I should be there in a few hours. What am I going to do? She got up and opened her door and looked down the corridor at all the other slumber at all the other train Train folk (laughs) yeah all the other train folk and as she walked towards the cafe car she heard a loud obnoxious scream what in the hell was that she shouted and she turned to look in the direction of the scream and as she turned bumped into a waiter who dropped a giant pan of chicken wings they were the famous trans-european continental chicken wings that only this train served served by the famous chef todd chef todd was famed all through europe for having the tastiest wings and the spiciest if you asked but unfortunately that was all chef todd knew how to serve he didn't know how to cook literally anything else he made an egg once but the lady who tried it died and (laughs) it was it was a whole thing so chef todd was resigned to serving delicious chicken wings on this train that went back and forth from London to Moscow to London to Moscow. And he had been doing this for the last 20 years of his life. And he was about 82 now. Catherine Hamilton, who was no not afraid of danger, walked down the train trying to keep her balance as the cars rustled beneath and she walked in the direction of the scream. As she's walking down the corridor, people are poking their heads out of all the cars. Everybody's shocked. Everybody's scared. All the whispers happen as she's moving her way down the car, trying to figure out where the scream came from. Uh, ma'am, you need to get back into your car immediately. A voice came from behind her. She turned around to see an officer. Some Somebody needs some help, she said. 
That's none of your concern, he said back as he pushed somebody's head into their car and closed the door. Uh, get in there. God damn it. <laughs> and he's he's aggressively pushing people back into their car and trying to silence them. There's nothing going on here, he says. Get back to your car. Pokes her in the chest very hard with his sharp finger. She notices the man has abnormally long fingernails, but... He pokes her in a way that his fingertip is slightly slanted so that he doesn't break the fingernails, as if he's done this many, many times before on this train voyage, and something about this unsettled her. The man was dressed all in blue, and he had on a normal police uniform with a shiny badge and a hat with a brim that seemed to go out abnormally far, as if he were in the Sahara, and it had been designed to block out the sun completely and shade him and his body and his nails. She stood, resolute. I'm not going anywhere until I find out who, where that scream came from. And she tripped a little as the train jostled her, and the train horn blew again. Excuse me, ma'am, but you're trying my patience. He grabbed onto her shoulders and moved her back into the doorway of her cabin. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got to make my way through the train. As the officer walks down the hallway, she looks left, looks right, and then decides, you know what? Fuck him. And she starts walking behind him, being very careful so that he doesn't hear her footsteps as she's creeping up behind him. And she's hoping all along that he won't look back. Nearly four doors pass, and the officer stops. And he goes to look over her shoulder, and she bustles into one of the rooms right before he looks. Miss, I think you got the wrong room, an elderly gentleman says. Shh! She shushes the old man. Ma'am, this isn't your room. I'm here by my... Shh! She says, trying to silence him so that the officer doesn't hear. She peeks her head out again and realizes that he's gone on to the next car. And then she steps out into the hall and resumes her trail behind him. Into the next car they go and they realize and she realizes quickly that the car that they're in is empty. It's it's mostly used for storage. There's bags and other random things in there, but mostly rooms are empty. And on the floor, in between two rooms, is a puddle of blood. And the officer stops, and he's staring down at this puddle of blood. And he looks left, and he looks right, and he says, I think there's been a murder here. And as she's standing there, looking at his back, the door behind her opens up, and another officer comes in. Miss, what are you doing here? And she says, shit. And the officer that she had been trailing turns around. And then suddenly, another man comes in, an older gentleman who looks confused, like he had just woken up. Excuse me, the man says. He sounds like he's from America. Ohio, maybe? Excuse me, these spoons are despicable, he says, holding up one of his spoons that apparently is god-awful. Could I get some shinier spoons here? I'm having a hell of a time. And then he storms off. Hmm, who was that gentleman, she thinks. And then the officers close in on her. Have you been following me, miss? No? I mean, what's the meaning of this? I'm still trying to figure out who that screaming lady was. There was no screaming lady. I think you've been dreaming and having too much caffeine. There's quite a bit of caffeine in that coffee in the diner, isn't there, Phillips? Phillips smiles creepily. Yes, 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 quite a bit of caffeine, (laughs) he says, scratching his scruff on his beard. Oh, his scruff on his face. And then Catherine looks around as the two of them appear to be getting lost in nostalgic thoughts for a moment. And she quickly darts for the side of the cabin, but slips on the blood and falls into a stack of suitcases. As the suitcases begin to tumble, one of them flops open and out falls a severed hand. Oh my god. She's covered in blood. And she's staring at this severed hand. And the officer picks her up says, you need to get back to your room, ma'am. This is none of your concern. And she bats his hand off of 
her and says, this is my concern. I'm a citizen of this train just as much as anybody else. And they try again to push her into into her room, but she will not go. She will not budge. You're making our job very difficult, Philip says. "Ah, I don't care, Catherine says in return. And she tries to push them out of the way. And the original officer slips on the blood too and falls. And now another suitcase falls down and flops open and there's a bunch of love letters inside greedily Catherine grabs one of them and opens it and she begins to read the love letter and it is between a man named maurice and a woman named ethel and it turns out that maurice is not ethel's husband and she looks back at the hand that's just sitting there now on the floor and it has a a wedding ring on it and she she begins to wonder her brain begins to fill in the gaps and then she hears another scream in the distance and the officers startled look up like they've been found out and she looks around and she quickly jumps to her feet shoving the letter into her pocket and runs out into the hallway she looks left behind her from where she had come and she sees the strange spoon man stomping off into the distance and then she looks right and continues down the hall towards the front of the train she's going towards the conductor she needs to see the conductor gerald gerald was that his name geraldo She couldn't quite remember, but she needed to see the conductor. She remembered when she first boarded the train, how she had been nervous, because she had never been out of London, and this was the longest trip she had ever taken. And the conductor had gone through the train and talked to every single patron and seeing that she was nervous and specifically sat down and calmed her down and had a conversation with her and said everything was going to be okay. We, We do this trip every year. It's fine. If you need, if you ever need to talk to me, you feel worried, just come see me at the front of the train. And she had remembered this and it had calmed her down. And she remembered thinking that he was also quite handsome. So she made her way towards the front of the train and she ran and she ran. And when she was sure that she had lost the strange two train men, the ticket men, she stopped looking behind her shoulder. And when she reached the end of the last car, she opened the door and stepped out into the cold night air. And she looked around and noticed that it was nothing but trees and a nice full moon, a bright, bright full moon and stars. And she looked down at the track racing below her. And she looked over to the next car and her heart began to beat. And then she heard the two train, the two ticket men behind her. And without thinking, she leapt for the next car. She got into the next car, and she tucked into one of the rooms, and an old woman sitting in the room, Are you lost, dear? says the old lady. No, I'm not lost. I'm just trying to avoid someone. She shuts the door behind her and tries to calm the old lady and tries not to scare her. And the two of them begin to talk back and forth, and it does not take Catherine long to determine that the old lady in the car, her name is Ethel, and she thinks, Ethel, huh. That's the same name from the love letters. She takes a a letter from her pocket and she asks the old lady, is this yours? And the lady takes the letter into her hand. I haven't seen this thing in 30 years, she said, unwrapping the letter and putting her monocle on because she was missing an eye. And Catherine wondered what it would be like to be half blind. And she closed one of her eyes and then quickly opened it, realizing that she might be acting offensive. But the old lady was so enthralled with the letter that she didn't seem to notice, especially since her one open eye was on the left side, which was the furthest eye away from her. And all these thoughts ran through her mind. And then a scream happened, but the old lady didn't look up, nor did anyone else in the cart. Nobody looked up, but she looked up and the scream this time seemed louder, almost like it was right next to her, like someone was screaming in her ear. What the hell is that? The old lady adjusted her monocle and looked up. I'm sorry, dear. What did you say? You didn't hear that? 
I'm sorry, no. And she looked back down at the letter. Behind her, she could hear the two ticket men hopping across the car, the caboose, and the door began to open. She said, oh, frick, I gotta get going. And she grabbed the letter from the old lady, not knowing why she was doing that. And the old lady looked terrified and looked up at her. What are you doing? And she runs and she runs to the end of the cart. At the end of the cart is is the conductor's office. And then she trips on another puddle of blood. And just as she falls to the ground, and her face is about to meet the ground and the, and the blood. She hears a dog barking. She's laying on the train floor, and she hears a dog. Not a big dog, just a little lap dog barking. What the hell is going on on this train, she says. She gets herself up, and she brushes herself off best she can, considering she's soaked in blood. And Gerald, the conductor, is staring at her. What are you doing? Is something wrong? Everything is wrong, she says. There are screams. I think there's been a murder. There are ticket men. Wait, did you say ticket men? What are you talking about? There are no ticket men on this train. <laughs> Why wouldn't there be? Okay, sorry. <laughs> this is This is a direct train from one stop to the next. We need no tickets. You mean to tell me that those two guys don't work for you? What two guys? What murder? What are you talking about? Oh, he says, and he looks around. The phantoms have come. What? And as Catherine stands up and wipes the wrinkles off of her dress and tries to get her surroundings, Gerald, the conductor, grabs his chin and begins to think, or in a way that suggests he's thinking. He may not be thinking at all. Maybe he's just doing that because he has an itch. And behind her, she can hear the ticket men scurrying towards her. And then suddenly it looks like the conductor has an idea. Come with me, miss. And then the scream happens again in the background. Did you? Never mind it, the conductor says. And he grabs her hand. And the letter falls out of her pocket. And she slips a little on the blood, but she continues following him. And the train begins to get more and more violent with its wrestling. I mean, shouldn't we be there by now? She says, suddenly, an afterthought. They had been traveling quite a while. And then he pulls her into his office, the door sliding closed behind them. And she looks around. And it's it's very dark, but she can make out the machinery of what she assumes is everything powering the train. And up ahead, there is a tiny little window that seems to be showing the front of the train and the direction that it's headed. And she notices the sun's coming up in the distance. Do you know who Ethel is? Oh, Ethel, I remember her. She's been on this train a handful of times, conductor says. And in the background, there's pounding on the door. There's something going on, Catherine says, and she shuffles through her pockets trying to find the letter, but she can't. Oh no, she says. I don't know where the letter went. What letter? The conductor asks. And she says, I think I could solve this thing if I had the letter. And the pounding continues, getting louder and closer. Do you remember what it said? Well, from what I remember, it said that Ethel and Maurice were in love, but I I don't know, I got some weird vibes from it. And Ethel, because I talked to her, said that she hadn't seen it in 30 years. Do you think maybe that Maurice is on the train too? Does that seem possible? And the conductor swallowed hard in fear. I haven't heard that name in years, the conductor said as he scratched his chin. He hadn't actually stopped. He had been doing it the entire time they were running, thinking the whole time, Ethel, my dear, dear Ethel and Maurice. That name, ugh. He seemed to be writhing in pain when he said the name. I loved Ethel once, but she was unfaithful to me, he said as he went around touching the gears, the many gears in his train, almost caressing them. 
in the darkness, scratching his chin with his other hand. I also love my gears. And he adjusted his hat and suddenly turned quick back to Catherine. What do you know of Ethel? Well, I told you, I, I had a letter and it was it was written, I don't, I think it was written for Maurice, but there was a hand and, oh, so you know. And suddenly the conductor's office got very hot and Catherine began to sweat. What's going on here? And the pounding on the door behind her got louder. And he glared at her with fiery eyes. The conductor jams the brake on the train. And you can hear the two ticket men thump against the door and fall. I'm going to get Ethel, the love of my life, he says. And he rips open the door. And the two ticket men are laying on the ground, hands on their head, screaming in pain. And the conductor just steps over them and walks down the hall. Catherine goes out to follow him, and before she can step over at the ticket men, the first one who has no name, Teddy, <laughs> grabs her ankle and holds on to her. Teddy You're not Ruxman. going anywhere, he Oop, says. Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> <laughs> grabs her ankle, and she does not let her go. She just holds on to her. She starts dragging him behind her, and they walk dragging towards the next car where the conductor is standing at Ethel's door. I did it for you. He says, I did it all for you. I tried to win you back. And then the conductor has a change of heart. Wait a minute. And he steps back out in the hallway and he runs back to his office and Catherine follows him. What the hell's going on here? And she nearly trips over a flyer for Lanky's Pub. Why is there an American flyer in here? I don't understand. And she goes back into the office and the door is wide open behind her and the, the cold air is coming in, which is cold but it's better than the weird intense heat that was happening and she she looks at the conductor who's backing towards one big lever at the front of the train what what are you doing and he starts smiling at her in a sinister way if i can't have her nobody can and he grabs onto the lever and out front through the window the tiny window she can see that there's a up ahead is a junction we can't go right she says okay no, I mean, we can't go right. The right track has been, nobody has ever gone down that track. It's been, it's lost all maintenance. It goes off the side of a cliff. It she says, okay, aren't we almost there? And then there's another scream and he tightens his grip on the lever. He looks like he's in pain and he looks like he's sweating, even though it's now freezing in this room. And he starts to pull the lever. This trip will never end, he says. And he pulls the, le the lever down. If I can't have her, no one can. And then he slams it down. And the train jolts to the right. And suddenly, there's nothing but an ocean. And she can see that the train is headed towards a cliffside, about to go off the edge. And the conductor is still smiling at her. Hands still gripped on the lever. Satisfied for some reason, even though they were all gonna die. And she falls to the ground with the jolting of the train. You can't kill us all, she says, struggling to get to her feet. She shoves the conductor as hard as she can, and he falls. She reaches out to grab the lever, but before she can, the ticket men bust in the door, and they grab her by the shoulders and start yanking her backwards, pulling her away from the car. The gears. The lovely gears. The gears. And the conductor yells, Get her out of here! And dispose of her like you did Maurice. Eh, I mean, yeah, but it just seems like a stretch, because he had already, like, not thought that they were bad guys. And then the ticket men started coming through the door and grabbing her and pulling her back. And she was screaming. And suddenly she recognized the scream. It was her the sound of her own voice that she had been hearing all along. And in the blackness behind her, just a gaping portal of some sort, the entire back of the train was gone now. And it was just a swirling vortex. And she was being pulled in as she screamed for her life. And the conductor was smiling 
holding onto his lever the whole time as the train plowed off the edge of the cliff and down into the water. And the last thing she heard from the conductor's mouth was, My dear, dear Ethel. This has been the writer's block. Cool kids, remember to subscribe and tune in next week for the next episode of the writer's block, the coolest podcast of all time.